my name is Josh. I'm one of the pastors here at the house, uh, and I have the privilege um, to teach tonight. Um, I want to start, actually, normally we, we would have already done the, um, the scripture reading. I'm changing the order up on us a little bit, so um, just know that that's happening. But we're going to read it, don't worry. Uh, but first, I want to talk about an easy-to-talk-about topic, um, divorce. That's not what our text is about, but um, I, I venture to guess that a lot of us in here, uh, maybe even a majority, actually, statistically, um, have been affected by divorce in some way, in some capacity. Um, divorce is a reality that touches all of us um, to some degree, whether it's extended family, it's cousins, whether it's your own family uh, and your own parents, um, and each of us respond a little differently to uh, divorce, but nobody uh, escapes an event like that unscathed. Uh, for an older child, maybe, uh, all of a sudden in a divorce, uh, you feel like your home is being torn apart. You feel like it's being ripped down the middle, and maybe you feel uh, ripped down the middle and torn between both of your parents. And a lot of ugliness that was hidden uh, is now up front for you to see and to witness, and that can be really hard. Or maybe if you're a younger uh, child, uh, in my case, uh, your parents divorced uh, before you have any recollection of it. Um, this is my story, and uh, instead of my home being ripped apart, I actually uh, don't think that I ever developed a strong sense of home. Uh, so my parents divorced when I was two, and I don't have any memories of them together. So I just grew up my whole life um, with two families. Uh, and I never quite felt at home uh, in either place. Even though I lived overwhelmingly the majority of my time with my mom, uh, I still knew that I had another home and another family uh, somewhere else, and I shared a lot of space. Um, I, I, I was recounting this with someone recently. Um, I think only three years in my life prior, uh, after my little brother was born, three years, um, he was born when I was four, um, that I had my own bedroom, um, and that would be fifth grade when we lived in some in a random rental where I had uh, my own bedroom. Uh, my freshman year of college, I had my own uh, bedroom in Johnson O'Bare, uh, and then um, uh, my junior year when I lived in our residence house, and we had this like one room that was like a little box sort of. It was like a it was a utility closet is what it was, and so. Um, there, you can only fit one person in there, and that's it. Um, I had a roommate ever since then, and I've been married 10 years, and I've had a roommate since then too. And so uh, my own personal space is kind of a weird, uh, a weird thing, and I, I never have felt fully like I have a space um, for myself. Even in college, uh, I shared a bedroom with my, my little brother growing up, um, and when I left for college, my, my little brother's 6'4", um, and we had bunk beds, uh, and so when I left, he got a real bed um, that he wasn't hanging halfway off of, but, but what that meant was when I went home, I didn't have a, a bed, I didn't have a room, and so even in my own house, I slept on the couch in the living room, like all summer, uh, I slept on the couch, and it's a weird feeling to feel like a guest uh, in, your own, in your own house, uh, in your own home. Um, with your own people. Uh, and so it wasn't until marriage that I started to really think I was getting glimpses uh, of, of home uh, and of what home looked like. Uh, but my wife and I were still uh, transient. Uh, we were living in rentals. We went to grad school. We knew that that was just a temporary time. But there was an element of living with her 
that I experienced some vulnerability um, and new depths of that that I hadn't uh, prior to. And, and I felt known in a way uh, that I hadn't uh, prior to that. And, and that began to feel a little more like home. Um, but I, I remember a, a very specific moment, um, and this was in February of 2020, right before the pandemic hit. Um, I had a, a, my oldest son was about to be two in March, and I went on this solo work trip, which almost never happens in this line of work. Um, normally when you go out of town, you're going on mission trips with like a bunch of students or you're going somewhere with a, lot, like a conference with a bunch of people. Uh, and, and so I was doing this thing by myself, and it was the first time I had done that uh, since having a child. Um, and I don't know, I, there was something in me that, that yearned uh, to be back home. And I had never felt that way before. My whole life, I just felt like a wanderer. I felt like a guest. I felt like I was wandering in a desert, sort of purposeless at different times. Sometimes, uh, like the positive side of that, um, of not quite feeling at home anywhere, was that I also felt like I belonged anywhere. Um, like anywhere could actually be home for me, uh, and that gave me a sense of comfort in any place. Uh, and there was an easygoing attitude that I sort of developed, because in any place that I was, uh, it could be home. And it could be home for a moment. Um, and, and I think that I thought I knew what that was. Um, but after having a child and buying a home uh, and, and sort of planting roots in a place, um, I learned a little bit more about what home is and had a glimpse of it. Uh, so there were ups and downs throughout that sort of transient lifestyle. My whole life, even up to the summer, moved again here. Um, and one of, the, one of the biggest, like, down, I don't know, valleys in that up and down um, trajectory was uh, the summer of uh, 2015 all the way to summer of 2016, that whole year. Um, that was a really difficult year uh, for me uh, for a lot of reasons. And um, I uh, had just graduated grad school, seminary, and thought getting a job, going to get into ministry, um, going to do this thing that I had felt called to do for a long time. The trick was my wife also graduated, um, not seminary, she didn't go to seminary, she's an educator, she graduated grad school at the same time, um, and she went to a much nicer school than I did, so her resume uh, looked amazing. And so we're job searching at the same time, and we're casting a wide net. Uh, we were living in Massachusetts at the time, and um, she got a job offer in Chicago, uh, and we had lived in Chicago before. And so we, we picked up and we moved there. And I didn't have a job prospect yet, but I had interviewed to, with some places and I still had interviews and there were things on the table and I thought this is gonna be it. Um, and none of those things came to fruition. Um, and I descended um, in my like, emotional, spiritual, and physical state um, to a low point, probably the lowest point actually. Um, and I felt directionless and purposeless and rudderless. And I felt like I was wandering uh, in the wilderness uh, again um, for another time, another season. And I wasn't sure how long it was gonna uh, last. And, and that uh, sort of brings us into the context of our, our scripture passage tonight. Um, we're, we're gonna be looking at John 14 uh, verses one through six, but uh, we're picking it up kind of in the middle of the story. And um, this scene that we're gonna read uh, occurs right after uh, this feast, uh, the Last Supper, where uh, Jesus is with his disciples um, on the verge uh, of the crucifixion. And after G uh, Judas uh, leaves, uh, 
Um, Judas gets up uh, to go sell Jesus out. Jesus has a conversation uh, with the rest of the disciples there. And he tells them that he's going to be going. And you would think by this point in the story that they would actually know where he was going. He's told them. uh, But they just don't understand the gravity of any of it. And and some of that is because they believed uh, that what the Messiah was and who the Messiah was was this political figure that was going to overthrow Rome and take back Israel and restore it to its glory. They thought that's what was going to happen. And so when Jesus says that he's going and they can't follow him, they're confused. Even though he's told them that's not what it's about, they get confused. How are you going to overthrow Rome if you're not here? Uh, They are uh, concerned, um, and they feel rudderless. They feel like they're about to be wandering without their leader, without any purpose. Uh, And Jesus responds to them tenderly. Uh, he responds to them, uh, he responds to their concerns. And, and this is what he says in uh, John 14, verses 1 through 6. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. And if it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. And will take you to myself, that where I am, you also may be. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The word of the Lord. Um, actually, I, I said we were going to stop at 6, but I kind of want to read 7 too. It's, it's important. We're going to read 7 too. Verse 7. Um, <laughs> right over that. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Uh, that's going to, that'll play a role actually in a second. So, uh, so let me talk, let's like work our way through this passage a little bit. It, it starts with belief. I'm not going to talk a ton about that, although we'll come back to it, actually. Um, but I want to start with, the uh, in my Father's house are many rooms. There are two things we need to take away from this in order to kind of understand what's going on. Because this passage, particularly verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life, is a, is a verse and is an idea that has been misused, I think, in the church to some degree. Um, as this exclusionary statement um, that Jesus is the only way um, to the Father. No one comes to the Father except through him. And while that might be true, I actually don't think that that's what this is saying here in this particular place. And so I want to give us a little bit of, of nuance and context for it. So there are two things that I want you to understand um, in, this, uh, in verse 2. In my Father's house, um, let's do this. Can anyone, any, any gutsy person... Does anyone want to take a stab at what Jesus might mean by his father's house? There are two answers that you could possibly give, one that I'm kind of looking for, but one that is not wrong. So you've got two shots. Temple. Yes, the temple. That's the one that I want. Um, Good. Thank you. Okay, so my father's house is the temple. Do we understand this? So, so uh, they would understand hearing my father's house is the temple. The temple is where God's presence dwelled in the midst of Israel. That's where he was housed 
in the temple. And so when it says that in my father's house are many rooms, rooms is a weird word. Um, This Greek word actually only appears twice in the New Testament um, at all, and it appears also in verse 14. And there it's, uh, not verse 14, in chapter 14 where we are, in verse 23, there it's translated home. Uh, home is, is something that we, we want to talk about here. Um, it, it's what this series is about. Um, so you might think, in my father's house are many homes. But I think actually the NASB translates this in a way that, that makes it understandable for us, um, which is a dwelling place. So a room, a dwelling place, a home. If you're reading from the KJV, it says mansion, actually. Uh, and so there are different ways to think about this, but they're all nuanced in, in unique kind of ways. And so I want to think about it as a dwelling place. So in the temple, around the outer courts, there were dwelling places, and, and priests lived in those dwelling places. Uh, and what the priests did were they cared for the temple. Um, they offered sacrifices. They did all of the temple activities um, that you would expect, but they were caretakers, uh, and they actually were on this like interesting rotating base uh, basis because there wasn't enough rooms in the actual temple to house all of the priests. And so here in my father's house are many rooms, uh, and there's room for all of them. So the temple language actually is is important. Um, because as we go through um, God preparing, God, uh, Jesus saying that he is the way and that he's preparing something for us, um, he's preparing it as the high priest um, might prepare and cleanse the temple. Uh, And the way that the high priest cleansed the temple um, was through sacrifice and was through blood, um, blood of the lamb. This is language that if you've been around the church uh, for a while, you know is imagery and metaphor for Jesus himself, um, that he is going to prepare a way by his death and resurrection, okay? He's still talking sort of subtly, um, but we have this idea of temple, we have this idea of uh, Jesus as the high priest, and then that puts the disciples, and actually uh, gonna be us, um, the church, um, because the temple, um, we're, we're going to descend into some theology that I hope isn't, I hope you'll track with me, okay? Um, the, the temple um, is decorated with all these beautiful pictures of creation. Uh, because the temple is supposed to be this microcosm uh, of God's creation. Uh, and his creation, the entire world, is supposed to be his temple. Uh, and we, people, his creation, are supposed to be his priests. Originally in Eden, uh, Eden is the holy of holies, sort of, is, is the prototype for the temple. Uh, and Adam and Eve function as priests where they care for the garden and they tend to it uh, and they help it flourish. Uh, this is the purpose of the priest, to help Israel flourish, uh, that they offer these sacrifices um, so that people can have a, a closer presence um, with God, that they can be in his presence uh, in a way uh, that they, they're not able to uh, without uh, the temple. So, so all of this is sort of, I think, in, in, in view um, because it's going to, to explain to us what Jesus means when he says that he is the way. Um, he says, uh, we, we, I'm going to, We'll, we'll breeze through this part, actually, um, not on purpose. I just think it's, uh, it's interesting. He's preparing something for us, um, and, and they can't follow him. It's got to be him, okay? Uh, and w- the way that he's preparing it um, is that he's going to the cross. 
And Thomas, uh, ever the realist uh, and direct, uh, and I love Thomas for this, there's, there's a certain type of person Actually, um, I mentioned that I lived in Massachusetts for a little while, and um, in Massachusetts, uh, doing college ministry, particularly where I was doing it, um, when it comes to faith and religion, nobody feels any pressure to be any way other than they are. There's no sort of cultural pressure to like be a good Christian or, or to pretend to actually know certain things about the Bible. And there was something really freeing about doing college ministry there um, that isn't true here. Um, there are certain people here that, that embody this, but by and large, this is a cultural uh, idea that um, when I met with a student, they were just so clear with where they were, um, what they knew, what they didn't know, what they understood, and what they didn't understand, uh, and there was never any doubt. Like, I never doubted, like, where someone was. Here, it's a little tricky. Um, folks grow up in church and know the right answers and know what they think I want to hear, and they say those things, even if you have certain doubts and aren't sure. And so we have to do this like interesting dance of trying to actually figure out where someone is. Thomas is not like that. Um, he is uh, straight to the point and straight up. And what he says um, to Jesus is, uh, you're still talking in riddles and I don't know what you mean. He says, uh, Lord, we don't know where you're going. You're saying that you're leaving. You're saying that you're preparing a way. Um, you still haven't told us really where you're going, and we don't know how to get there. Uh, and Jesus responds uh, with, I am the way. This is an invitation home, uh, the way home to a dwelling place. Uh, his father's house has many rooms. Um, he wants to dwell with his people uh, in his creation apart from the sin and brokenness. Uh, this is the purpose of, of, of Jesus' life and death uh, and resurrection, is to bring us into relationship uh, with him. We, we talked about Jesus as the high priest, and, um, and in Hebrews 4, it says that um, he is the great high priest uh, who sympathizes with us, and it's because of him that we can approach the throne of grace with confidence. Uh, and there's something really beautiful about that. This is, this is his purpose. He's allowing us to be in, uh, in God's presence uh, for eternity, dwelling with him uh, for eternity. Um, he, says, uh, that, uh, I am the, he says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. Um, it's, it's the way home, it's an invitation home to where uh, you can know Jesus uh, and to feel known. When he says, I am the truth, he's inviting you into a deeper love and knowledge of, of Jesus Christ. Uh, and when he says, I am the life, he's inviting you into real life with Jesus Christ, right? The way, the truth, and the life. Uh, there's a, a, I think he's 14th century, I'm not sure, Christian mystic, 14th or 15th, named Thomas Akempis. Um, and he has a really beautiful way um, of putting this, and I, I want to read it um, to you when he's talking about Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life. He says, follow me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Without the way, there is no going. Without the truth, there is no knowing. Without the life, there is no living. I am the way you are to follow. I am the truth you are to believe. 
I am the life you are to hope for. I am the way that cannot be destroyed, the truth that cannot be wrong, the life that cannot be ended. I am the way that is most straight, the supreme truth, the true life, the blessed life, begotten, not made. So in uh, the Father's house, um, if we have a dwelling place, uh, it's not just that Christ is the high priest. Um, we're also called a royal priesthood uh, in First Peter. That's, that's what it's called. And, and like Adam and Eve, um, we receive this responsibility. This is the church's responsibility now as image bearers of God. So if the whole world is supposed to be God's temple. There's this recurring theme throughout the Bible of idols being present in the temple uh, and, and people, uh, Jesus, um, a, a king who uh, is, is prompted by the Spirit to cleanse the temple of idols. Okay, uh, If we are the image bearers um, of God, we are, are called to represent and steward Christ well in the world. This is the church's role now, um, is to function like priests in the world, representing Christ, um, not uh, creating, not putting um, idols into the world, not giving a false image uh, of who God is. Uh, this is our responsibility as, as priests. Uh, and there's something really exciting about uh, being a priest. And when it functions like it's supposed to, uh, we get glimpses uh, of what it will be like uh, for eternity. We get glimpses of, of his goodness, of his truth, uh, and of his uh, beauty. Um, we, we get there, uh, if, we, if we drop this back to verse 1. Let not your hearts be troubled. If feeling like a priest, uh, if living like a priest feels like this high calling that uh, you don't know how you're going to do it. Uh, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God and believe also in Jesus. Um, he wants us to rest uh, in his dwelling place. Uh, and he's calling us uh, to not be wanderers, uh, wandering in the desert. Um, to not, uh, he doesn't want us uh, on this roller coaster of, of ups and downs where we don't feel at home. Uh, he wants us to be at home with him. And so he's calling us out of wandering uh, and out of being a wanderer um, and into being a, a dweller. He wants us to dwell with him. And this says something, I, I think, miraculous about God uh, and about each of us. Um, I, there are a handful of like watershed moments for me, uh, theologically, uh, and this was a big one. Um, the reality, coming to, to, the, to be convinced that this whole thing um, is so that we can dwell in God's presence for eternity, that's what all of this is about. That's what Jesus is about. Um, that's the way that he's pointing. That's the life that he's offering. Um, and I don't know, that says something about God, um, that he actually like wants uh, a relationship with us, that he wants uh, to be near us, that he wants us to be near to him, to, be, to feel known by him, to actually know him. In verse 7, he says, if you had known me, 
you would have known my father also. And from now on, you do know him and you have seen him. And he says that because they know him uh, and they see him. Uh, and that's what, he's, that's what he's offering. And so uh, it says something about God that he wants a relationship with us. Um, and it says something about us, actually. Um, and, and this is like a, a hard tension to kind of um, hold sometimes, that while we don't have much to offer God in the way of goodness, um, we're still worthy of his love. Um, we're worthy of his relationship. Uh, and and not, not because of anything that we're doing, or not because of what we have done, but because of what he has done uh, in creating us to, in his image, um, that he wants us to be a part of his work in the world, to see his creation flourish, to see his creation gl- uh, grow, and he wants us to steward it. Uh, and there's something really powerful uh, about that that should give you purpose uh, and meaning and worth um, just like, I think, um, at least what I imagine, um, like a beautiful home uh, to be like. So I want us to bow our heads, uh, and I want us to, to actually think uh, where we might be wondering. Um, what's an area of your life that you need to actually just dwell in God's presence uh, and stop wondering? Uh, you need to slow down. Uh, and to pay attention, and to acknowledge um, that God loves you, uh, and that he wants a relationship with you, um, and that that's possible. So uh, take, a, take a moment to pray that, uh, or to, to think about that. Father, wherever we are, find us. No matter how far we've wandered, we're never farther than just turning around. We can't ever wander farther than your love has gone before us. And um, call us home, the home you've been preparing for us the entire time. In Jesus' name, amen.